9 out of 10 startups fail. Women and minority-led companies receive less than 10% of all venture capital. This is an environment designed for failure. Startup Hype Man's mission is to use the power of story to make success inevitable, not the exception. And this podcast is designed for entrepreneurs to share lessons learned from their stories so that you can figure out what whatever it takes means for your company to make it. Let's kick it. Yeah, good. You ready? You want to yeah. oh, You want to like get your voice? I think I'm good. Am I good? <laughs> From the Hype HQ recording studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I am your host and the startup hype man, Raj Nation. Every week we bring you real talk and unpack the behind the curtain strategies with the entrepreneurs who are doing it or who have been there, done that, all to help your startup grow up and stand out. Join the Hype Nation to catch every new episode, plus get resources and other stuff that actually help you, not the whack promotional junk that other companies try to shove down your throat. All you have to do is add your email at startuphypeman.com. Ready for some real talk? Time now for me, Raj Nation, to turn it over to, well, me, Raj Nation, for this week's conversation. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. And we are welcoming back as the first ever back-to-back guest who is not a two-part of one single episode, Amanda Greenberg. Amanda, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm excited. Now, to remind everybody, if you did not take a listen, I highly encourage you to dial it back one episode and go to the most recent episode, obviously, on this list with Amanda. She is the CEO of Ballooner, which is a platform based on research and science that addresses how humans actually share information and make decisions. So the idea here is accelerate time to wisdom, de-bias decision-making, and establish an idea meritocracy. So essentially, neuroscience packaged into a technology platform. Now, in her last episode, we discussed how do you land a prominent or a well-known angel investor. We're going to shift directions this time. And if you want to learn more about her specific backgrounds and the inner workings of Ballooner, again, go back and listen to that episode. But this time, we're going to dive right into a completely different topic, which is how do you create a new category? Now, Amanda, just at a high level, can you just give like the, like, why was this a topic you were like, hey, we should probably talk about something like this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting topic. So with Ballooner, um, you know, we are creating a new category. Um, It's very much category creation. In some ways, it's textbook category creation. And I think that it's oftentimes uh, not discussed or discussed kind of too late in terms of uh, startups and companies. People oftentimes are told that, there's nothing new to create and that everything is um, already out there to describe your company um, in terms of what's already existing or what's already been successful. But if it really truly is category creation, how do you need to shift kind of not only like how you position yourself, how you market yourself, how you talk about your products and your company, um, but also how you gain investment and what to look for in investors is, is really different. So thought it was really timely, interesting. I'm by no means like an expert, um, but have read a lot about it um, and I'm in the process of doing it. Yeah, you've got the experience and you're in the thick of it right now. So this is interesting that you, you bring up sort of like the why behind it, because you're right, it is very easy for a entrepreneur to say, okay, well, this industry looks attractive. We're going to enter in here. There's already enough established players. So people kind of get it. We can just have 
marketing that looks like this, or we can add this feature and make it different. You know, that's a dumbed down version, but essentially along those lines. Yeah. So what do you say, what do you look for? What did you look for when you're like, okay, nothing that's nothing that exists right now in terms of categories makes sense for us. We need to create something new for this. Yeah. So, um, we didn't really understand. I mean, it's, you know, you're always naive when you start a new company. So we didn't really even know that we were creating a new category, but we started hearing kind of that theme from, um, just really smart investors and people and customers. Um, you know, there's a number of like things to actually look for, which is like, um, there's no pricing comps. You know, people will kind of price it all over the place. The enterprise um, wants to play, they want to learn, and they're willing to pay for it. They knew that they know that this is like the new space. And there's also market demand. Like it's not as easy and direct to calculate, you know, total addressable market or how big something can be. But if you start to see really market demand and people um, you know, driving toward you when you're putting out content or you're really seeing the future a different way, then it becomes, you know, just more clear that you're creating a category. And so those are kind of the things that that we really started to notice and look for. And we heard kind of our customers describe us all different ways. And we really paid attention to that. So Lunar is really at the intersection of collaboration, surveying, and productivity. And so we would hear some customers describe us more like a collaboration product or some customers describe us more like a surveying product. And so we really started seeing, hey, you know what, this is actually a whole new category and our investors really align with that. So you just start really seeing these trends um, and you start seeing and recognizing that there's not really an existing way to capture what you're doing. And to make sure that our listeners are on the same page with what we're discussing here, how are you defining category in this aspect? Yeah. So like brand new category, brand new market. So, um, you know, a good example is like customer success and gain site. So there's a number of really, really, um, you know, clear leaders in terms of how they've done this, how they've structured it. Um, they write a lot about it. So they really um, created, named, owned the category customer success. Yeah. And, you know, there's been a number of obviously, you know, tons of customer success companies since then, but they're the leader. They're the ones who throw the annual conference where all their competitors attend. They're the ones who publish the content that people always look for. And they're really creating and driving and owning that category. So when you start to see that kind of new name, new thing, and things that we just take, we just take for granted now, things that we just say, you know, customer success, well, that was a new category that was created. Yeah, and then and other things I can think of just as examples, like when we say category, um, sales enablement, is yes, a category. Absolutely. Uh, performance management. Yeah. Uh, marketing attribution. So these are all different examples of just like what we mean when we say category. Like how are people lumping you in yeah. amidst everything that's out there in the ether? So one of the things you mentioned when you said, okay, well, this is how we kind of figured out we don't really fit in any category. Yeah. Uh, actually, before I go to the one part you mentioned of that, when you had that moment of we don't fit in any category, were you at all like, oh shit, we don't fit in any category. What do we do? Or were you like, yes, we don't fit in any category. We got to do something. Yeah, I was relieved because I always thought that since the beginning, but I was happy to have a way to 
understand it, describe it, like playbooks to look at of where it's been successful. And I felt just relieved. You know, it's very much like blue ocean versus Red Sea, um, you know, I green fielding, like all of those things. That was just much more of a comfortable place for me to be in um, as a founder. And it just aligned with our vision. And mm-hmm. so I felt like relieved that that's where others were also putting us and where we were able to really, um, you know, scope out our own area, create our own category. And we continue, you know, we're continuing to do that. You know, that's all part of how we're building our company, how we're building our brand, how we're building all of these different things. Tell me about, I'm familiar with Blue Ocean. Tell me about Red Sea and Green Fielding. Those are some new... uh yeah. <laughs> geological, geographical terms for me. Yeah. So um, blue ocean, of course, is like, you know, Red Sea is where it's, it gets bloody because all the competitors are fighting. So you ah. want to be in like the blue ocean. So it's kind ah, of okay. the, yeah, the counter of that. Um, and that's like where, of course, you know, the biggest opportunities are in the blue ocean. And same with Greenfield, like brand new area, brand new op- opportunity, um, you know, hasn't been touched before. Yeah. Okay, Fun great. Terms. Yeah. So what do you, what is the like the name now of the balloon, the category ballooner rests in? Yeah, so we're still working on it. Um, so we will probably have like, hopefully kind of final name in the next couple of months. Um, but uh, yeah, working on it with our, with our customers, working on it as a team, working on it with our advisors and investors. But it's a really interesting process because um, I think you know when it's not right, but you also know when it is right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, customer success sounds so positive and it's so focused on like the, um, like the success of the customer, right? Of your client, like what are their goals? Um, so there's just a lot of different things to take into account when, when naming. Yeah. And it's, it's a decision that has a lot of, it can potentially have a lot of weight and impact to it. Right. Like, like you mentioned, uh, customer success is just a well-known term now. Yes, so it's kind of winner. like, if this goes well, yeah. <laughs> like you, you create like the word that people just start using or the phrase that people start using. So do you feel any, like, do you feel that, that weight or that impact at all as you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that a lot of success, like really, uh, like it's, it's just weighted on what we name that category and um, what, you know, does it align? Does it work? Um, are others going to position themselves also in that category, which is what you want to have happen, right? You want a lot of competitors, um, but you want to be the ones that created it, named it, owned it, grew it. Um, but yeah, but it's so important and you want it to be also be something that people just get right away. Um, you know, you want people to say, okay, customer success, I have a good sense of like what they do, right? Sales enablement, like I have a good sense of what that means and what they do. So um, it's just so critically important. Tell me about, so earlier you mentioned, okay, we, we kind of figured out we had to go this route because people were describing us in different ways. We didn't have one clear total addressable market. Now, Oftentimes, you hear investors say, we need to know what your total addressable market, your TAM is. Yeah. So, and you've raised a good amount of capital to this point. Like, how are you going into these conversations with investors and being like, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about that elephant in the room. So, you know, I think the best investors um, look for new categories. Like, they look for untapped market demand, like untapped market. Um, and, you know, we have a slide in our, in our deck that says we're creating a new category and here is the early signals. Um, and this is how this aligns with, you know, um, 
what we've seen with other companies that create categories and really the best investors understand that and get that. And, um, you know, I think it's really clear. I don't remember if we talked about this on the last podcast, but it's always really clear, um, when an investor gets what you're doing, when they align with what you're doing, they share your vision, they start talking about all the different places and opportunities it could go. And that's really bound to happen with a new category. So, um, you know, it hasn't been a, a challenge for us because the right people and the right investors get that. Um, other people might not be able to correctly position it um, or, you know, our vision doesn't align. Maybe they don't think that it's as big as we see it um, or how we envision, or maybe they think that, um, you know, it's going to be too, eventually too competitive or whatever, you know, whatever those things are, there's a little bit of unknown, the need to prove more out when you have a new category. Oh, I should mention that. Yes, that's completely true. You have to prove way more, you know, in terms of will people pay for this? How much are they going to pay for it? Is it a, um, a price point that can really grow a sustainable company? Like our companies like loving your product, where are they pulling budget from? Like new categories, oftentimes there's not budget existing for them, for those products. So like, are they pulling budget together to pay for it? Um, are they expanding across their usage? Like all of those different things become, I think, way more critically important when an investor doesn't have an existing like playbook or an existing competitor where they can say, okay, like this is, you know, that's number one and this company's number two and we're going to get them to number one or this, you know, really clear acquisition strategy or exit strategy or whatever. Um, it becomes way more important to just have that traction. Well, and it, it, there's an interesting upside and downside to it from a investor pitching perspective in that if you pick an existing category, the default response is, yeah, but so-and-so is already doing this or exactly. how are you going to get past all these other competitors? Yeah. Whereas when it's a new category, the positive response is, oh, we can be first to market with this. We can yeah. break through. We can create something no one's seen before. But then it's like, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're going to be the first to market with exactly. this. We're going to create something no one's seen before. Yeah, we're going to exactly. have to break through. So I think a lot of it comes in how you're positioning that to yeah. them. And I think what I like, and I was hoping you were going to mention this, is you, you, you're very blunt about it. You call it out. Your deck says we are creating a new category. Yeah. And then being able to back that up with what does that mean and talk yeah. through like how, where does budget come from this? Because I think that's an aspect, even in cases where people are in an existing category, it's, a, it's an aspect that a lot of startups overlook when they say, oh, it's a big industry. People are already spending money on similar things, but mm -hmm. you don't know where the money comes from. How are you actually going to get those customers then, right? They have to be able to yeah. pull something. So in your case, maybe it's they they pull up twenty five percent from innovation, twenty five percent from HR, right, and customer success. So um, it's which only adds up to seventy five percent. Twenty five percent they just create for you, but yeah. Yeah. but these are all the things that have to go. These are the considerations, and I'm glad you mentioned. So um, thus far, just what I've jotted down is like so. Step one in this process is you know, or you're, you, you can start to consider if you have a new category, if your customers are describing you in different ways, but not in a confusion sense, in a, right. here's what I'm getting out of this sense. Yeah. Um, as well as, is it really unclear on what your specific total addressable market is? Once, you, let's say your answer is yes to that, now you can look at, okay, hey, we have a new category we're creating here. So mm -hmm. I guess the step one at that point is 
Well, from an investor standpoint, actually call out that you are creating a new category and why it makes sense and back it up. Yeah. And then if we jump to, okay, maybe a step two from there is, all right, what's the name of this thing going to be? Now, I know you're still in the process of figuring out what that name is, but what you've mentioned at least so far is you want to be something that people get. Now, without showing your hand, because I'm sure you're still working out the marketing behind it all, what, do you, what can you recommend are, as like, what are principles you followed to be like, what we're coming up with is, is going to be something that we believe people will get? Yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing is that it aligns with the goals of the customer and the person buying. So that's like, I think the, the number one thing that we think about, like you can obviously describe what you do as a company in so many different ways, right? You can put any two to three words together to describe what you do and like people will get it or understand it. But like, does this actually capture the core differentiator and the core benefit? that only you own, like that you do better than anyone else. Um, and that's something that is people, I guess, gravitate toward. They like saying, they like talking about, it makes them feel good. It means that they're doing like a good job at their job. Like it's going to make them do better. It's going to make them be superheroes in their workplace um, or whatever that kind of goal is. So those are the things that, that we think about. It's the things that, you know, people who have done this before um, talk about, like when they knew that they kind of had the right, the right category name. Um, but I think that there's just a lot that goes into it. I've also seen companies that have attempted to name a category and it not take off. Um, and you even hear it and you're kind of like, oh, that doesn't seem like quite right. Like, I don't remember that. I don't like remember the exact words. Like, I don't remember how they align together. Um, so I think, you know, it's a combination of things and being memorable. But you also, I think, have to picture yourself. And, you know, Gainsight talks a lot about this as, you know, they started having kind of this this conference that they had and first it was all web and they put together, you know, a full day of kind of webinars with experts or their customers talking about, you know, key tenants of customer success or how they drive customer success. And they just like projected that out, had everyone listen in. Then eventually they kind of gear it up to, um, you know, a live conference. I think it's called, I think it's pulse. Um, but they have kind of their conference now and, you know, everyone attends. And I think that, what they really thought about too, which is like, you have to think like, could you have a full day content around this topic? Like, are there so many different pieces of this category? Um, and what would people talk about and how would they position it? And that should all kind of make sense. Um, and those are the things that, that we think about. I think it's the things that anyone thinks about when they're creating that category. Mm -hmm. Could you have a full day of content built around this name? That's, that's, that's a really valuable takeaway, I think. But if, and if we take that and like unpack it a little bit more, cause you're saying like, Hey, it has to align with the goals of the customer and the people buying. It can't just be any two or three words. I mean, right. there are two or three words that can be thrown together. Yeah. That, like, makes sense. But does it actually work? So like, if we look at something like that phrase or that industry customer success, right? That category, yeah. if you're looking at it in retrospect, can you explain for me like why you believe it works and why it wasn't just, Hey, a good yeah. sounding two or three words. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the key pieces and one of the things that we think about a lot, just in naming ballooner and the category that ballooner is creating is like, it's positive, right? Like customer success, like that sounds good, right? That sounds like nice. That sounds like, um, 
optimistic, you know, like it, it feels like powerful. Um, it feels like, you know, it's winning success is winning, you know? So I think that those are the things that we think about versus like the nitty gritty of like, does this capture every single thing that we do and does it capture it? Well, I think that people can really weigh down. I mean, we have gotten weighed down right in the process of like making sure it really is accurate and all these pieces we do versus like, what's the market actually saying? And like, why are our customers buying us? And so one of the things that we have is a customer advisory board, um, you know, which are, you know, industry leaders that are customers and our customers are industry leaders. Um, and they tell us, you know, like, here's why we purchased Ballooner. Here's the value it brings to us. And we really look at the words that they use, not the words that we tell them, not the value that we tell them that they're getting or that they're going to get, but how do they describe it? How do they describe it internally? How do our users describe it not just even our buyer but like how do people who just interact with our product describe it and what are the benefits to them and I think somewhere um, in that theme and in that trend and in that kind of thread across them is the answer um, and I think that's really where the power is and that's the power of you know talking to your customers too to really come to that point yeah it's um, you'll find similarities across what the different people are it actually it reminds me of an exercise uh, I, I used to be heavily involved. My previous company, we were doing a lot of personal branding work for individuals. Yeah. And one of the exercises we would have people do is reach out to minimum three, but like up to 10 people in their network. Yeah. Ideally, people who don't know each other, but they all know you. Mm. And they're from like different facets. It could be like previous job. It could be family member. It could be friend, right? So all these different people you reach out to and you ask them, three different questions. Um, and it's, uh, what's, what are three things you think I'm great at? What's one word that best describes me? And what's a f famous person or character who I remind you of? Yeah. I love that. And what you find across the section. And it's a fan. I mean, yeah, just for like ego boosting and confidence, <laughs> just do it. <laughs> uh, but what was fascinating with that exercise is how for most people, the responses they got were very similar from mm -hmm. people who all knew them, but they didn't know each other necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I think our favorite example was this guy named Ben, who we worked with, who uh, that famous person question, like five different people, uh, maybe more than that, came back to him and were like, you're like this weird combination of Bill Nye, the science guy and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, God. And he was this, then he's a dude who was like a scientist by trade, but like yeah. works out a ton. And he's like jacked. And, yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, all these different people saw it. And then he started describing himself like on his personal right. website, yes. his profile as the impassioned love child of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Bill Nye. <laughs> and that. then people like gravitated <laughs> towards that. So it's, it's yeah. that same idea here is even though you have a, end user versus a buyer and they may get slightly different value out of it can you find the common thread or can, can yeah. you can you draw the thread or, or, or write the line draw the line <laughs> weave the thread amidst those yeah. responses so I, I like where you're headed in the naming convention now let's talk about the execution of it right mm, so, mm -hmm. right my company startup hype man let's say I'm like you know what I need to create an industry called hype or a category of hype right yeah business hype why is it yeah. not enough to just be like, all right, everybody, I created this category. <laughs> and like, what do I do yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I think 
one of the, I mean, one of the key pieces, right, which is, of course, content creation. So content creation to drive inbound pipeline. Like, people aren't going to know that they need you um, and that you're available um, and that you exist even, you know. So how do you just drive an inbound pipeline through content? So, um, you know, we've done this, like, a number of different ways. It's a key piece of, like, our next growth um, strategy and plan is just, you know, additional content creation. So, um, you know, whether it's writing, you know, I, I wrote a LinkedIn post, for example, about um, enlightened leadership um, and enlightened leaders and the changing face of leadership. And we really see our buyers as enlightened leaders. Like they recognize that there's unheard voices, like they recognize the power of needing to, more information to make better decisions, et cetera. So I wrote this LinkedIn post, um, you know, really took off and everything. And we had a lot of inbound pipeline as a result of that. So how do you write content that connects with people who are going to be your early adopters, your first customers, maybe they're champions at first, like maybe they're not in the right position to buy something um, you know maybe they just are talking to their friends about you um, because they think about the world in that different way too they see the power in that shift um, in terms of what the future of work looks like so how do you just you know really put content out there so obviously like whether that's like blog posts like you know being a Forbes contributor writing on ink like um, podcasts you know all these different things um, how do you really create that that content um, that helps to really carve out the scope of that category and all the different components of it. So if you purchase, you know, uh, Gainsight, if you purchase customer success product, or if you purchase Lunar and whatever, you know, this category is called, um, what does that mean about you as a leader and as a buyer? What kind of content do you gravitate towards? So, um, you know, and, and making sure that the content really leans. And I think that that's also how you build community um, in a place that's not really as clear, like, you know, this is an existing community. How do you build it? Um, you know, how do you build it with people who gravitate toward the same things, like reading the same things or interested in the same things? Um, I think that's like one of the key, key pieces of, um, of that execution. Mm -hmm. Now, to me, when you say that, I'm like, yeah, that has a ton of positive connotation to it, right? Enlightened leadership. I'm like, what leader is like, oh, I don't want to be enlightened. Yeah, I don't right? want to be like, I hate that. I want to stay in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Does that mean, did you just kind of spill the beans for us? Is, is that yeah, is the category? I did, okay. I did not. I did not. I did not. I did not. But it is obviously like something that we have thought about and it's how we describe like our, our customers. Yeah. So within that content creation then, um, you know, maybe you write a post on enlightened leadership. Uh, maybe you're you're putting things out in the direction of this new category that's that you're creating. Yeah. But from a tactical standpoint, are you throwing in words and phrases like for SEO purposes that the industry is already using? Yeah. So we have started that a little bit. Okay. Um, so there's some pieces of that that we're just now kicking off, um, starting exploring, um, etc. But I. I know that others have done that and I yeah. know that that's like part of that process. Because I don't think anyone's searching for, I don't know, like enlightened leadership, right? But right, exactly. they may be searching for leadership strategy, managing teams, things of that nature. So if you seed those keywords in, it's going to, you're going to draw people to the new idea by right. basically using the keywords that people are already searching for with the yeah. old idea. Yeah, right. exactly. So content creation, that makes sense to me. Yeah. What else needs to happen in the execution process? Are you maybe hosting a conference yourself? Are you doing like a lunch and learn or webinars? What's going on? 
Yeah, I mean, our customer advisory board is like the first step toward that, right? So like, we have um, these initial early adopters of our product, you know, they all are at amazing companies like Google and Thumbtack and US Cellular and Airbnb, etc, um, Capital One. And um, they're also really spread out across different industries. And so I think that that's like something that's really, really interesting. Like, you know, two of our customer bo- customer advisory board members um, are working scouting and operations for professional baseball teams. So like bringing them together, right, with someone who is in um, product marketing at Google, it's just really interesting, like to talk about that intersection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of have these, you know, customers spread out across different um, industries and bringing them together to share those best practices will then help to drive that kind of initial content. And, you know, I envision us doing first kind of like a conference that's more um, web-based, right, where people can listen in, really like a whole day of content. And then eventually, of course, you know, our goal and vision is to, you know, have a large annual conference um, with all of our customers, you know, our thousands and thousands and millions and millions of customers all over the world um, coming in and attending for yeah, that's fantastic. Can you tell me what goes into a, like, how do I build a customer advisory board? Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, when this even came to us, like, that we should build a customer advisory board. Like, I feel like I'm not giving an advisor credit or something. Someone shared this with me. But um, we kind of researched, you know, what is kind of the best steps for, for building a customer advisory board? What does that look like? Um, lots of different information out there, but basically pulling together, you know, I think the number is like between five and 12 um, of your customers who really are eager to share product feedback, who are, you know, leaders in their industries um, and bringing them together uh, two to three times a year, preferably in person. But um, we're doing one, I think, on, you know, Zoom uh, virtually and then another in person where we're going to bring everyone together in San Francisco. Um, And they share product feedback. They talk about best practices and what's working and what's not working. Um, They talk about like kind of how they're, you know, implementing Ballooner in their companies, changes that they're seeing. Um, We then share with them, of course, you know, additional resources, um, additional, just like we give them first access to new features, right? So like they're testing things first, they're sharing things with us first. um, And they kind of get to be part of this this thing, um, which is really exciting and, and really great and just really valuable across the board. The other piece, which I think is interesting, is we're obviously like working on, on research with our customers and um, they get access to that as well, yeah. um, but really building that community. Yeah, so they're incented to participate because feedback is really to help you, but their incentive is ultimately it helps them exactly. at the same time they're getting access to some additional material that the average customer is not getting access to exactly yeah exactly so i think this is an interesting point here and we'll kind of cl- uh i'll ask one more question after this before we close up but the what you're effectively doing here is empowering your user beyond the transaction or beyond just the specific use and utility of your product, which is something that in previous episodes has come up um, specifically with Matt Wilson from Under 30 Experiences last season where we talked about how do you create community out of your customers. And one of their big takeaways was don't just have their only interaction with you be when they're buying from you or when they're using your product. This is an example of that where they are empowered to do like what you're doing is empowering them. And even beyond those hard things we just mentioned of they get a better product out of it and they get some additional material. It's, 
it's pretty cool to be able to tell your friends or your associates in the field, like I've helped shape this industry this company. product, right? Yes. I've helped shape yeah. this company. Exactly. Yeah. That's something they can then put on their own resumes ultimately. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's hugely beneficial, right? Just across the board. And I also think like, <laughs> excuse me, it makes like, just like much more, um, just more community focused and, um, yeah, just information sharing across the board is just better. And people are eager to help out. Like they want to be part of um, the growth of a company, especially a product and a team that they really believe in. And I think it's kind of something that startups are um, and startup founders are a little bit too hesitant about. I mean, this is something an advisor gave me advice about years ago, and it really just helped shape how I think about it, which is like, let people be a part of the journey. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really, really important. Um, um, and it's it's just mutually beneficial across the board. Right, right. I think it's um, it's being willing to be told your idea or your initial idea is wrong or right. it can be improved. In Get a all this feedback, way. yes. And it's also being willing to go a little bit slower. Yeah. And that's why these people have to be that those innovators, the early adopters, because the late early majority and late majority, if we look at the diffusion of innovation curve, yeah. they they will not tolerate something that doesn't already work. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you need right. people who are eager, right? Who are eager to help, who can like handle some things with like product not being quite there yet or, in, you know, being an evolution or being developed because they know kind of the value they're getting. So, mm-hmm. so my last question before we wrap up is you mentioned the foundation towards the beginning. You mentioned it was built around, Hey, are they giving you different types of feedback? Uh, is the, addressable market, not totally clear. These are indications that a category creation might be in order. What about if you're just like, you know what, there's just a lot of people in this space and we think we can make a bigger splash if we just create a new category. Is that a valid reason? You know, I think the market will tell you if that's a valid reason. Um, I think it becomes like more clear. I think one of the other important notes is that like there's no pricing comps. So like one of them is like, there's just no pricing comps for what you do. Like you could charge like one customer, like a little bit, you charge another customer a ton and they would both be probably be like, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> and that like enterprise is like willing to pay for it. Like, I yeah. think that's like, you know, one of those other kind of best practices. But I think that, I, I mean, I think that all of these things too are like um, indicators of things to look, look for. But I also think it just comes down to the founder's vision. Like if your vision is really for this other thing to exist and you see it and believe it and think that it's untapped and you have these other kind of check marks, then I think it really warrants a new category. But if you don't have the vision for that, then, um, then it's just not going to be possible. Right. I think that like another thing that I've heard is just like, you know, founder energy, like around what they're creating, especially for a new category is like essential. And if you kind of look across like new category creation, like founders, like can't, they can't like see the world any other way than with like this huge thing being created. Um, and I think that's really important. And I, I know that like to just a lot of our investors that we've closed, it's, that's been a huge component of like, of it, you know, which is like, Amanda, like you're mad that this problem isn't fixed and like you want to fix it and like, you're not going to stop until it's fixed um, and it's resolved and you kind of grow in this huge thing. So I think that that's so important too. So I, I think that's, you know, there's this founder vision energy core piece as well. That's just mm. as important. To wrap up, we saved this for this episode from the last time. Oh. Can you let our listeners know where they can learn more about Ballooner? It's not, oh, it's, no yeah. it's not a difficult question. <laughs> yeah. Where they can learn more about Ballooner, where they can learn more about you, where they can get in touch. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you can check out Ballooner at uh, ballooner.com, which is balloon with an R after it.com. Um, you can request access there. So we are growing our wait list and taking early adopters and customers now. Um, you can follow us on Twitter um, and you can follow me. I'm at AK uh, Greenberg on Twitter. And yeah, feel free to reach out to our founding team as well. We're at founders at ballooner.com. Very nice. Now, to officially wrap up, we will close the episode as we finish every episode here. And that is by respectively giving our sort of top line takeaway or answer to the question. I'll go first, and then I'll kick it to you. Okay. The topic today was how do you create a new category? So you gave a ton of good information in this. I think the things that stand out the most to me are that initial like first understand if the, if the environment is right to make a new category. And then from there, I think what I love is this notion of create the, there's a lot that you talk about, but the idea of creating a customer advisory board to help you carve out your, your niche and to help develop the product and get feedback and ultimately create the best thing possible. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Those are, those are mine. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are yours. I'm just uh, kidding. That's good. But any, any top line piece of advice yeah. you'd like to give here? So this is actually, can I give a new piece of advice? Because I just do. thought about it. I forgot that I wanted to mention it. But one of the things that um, I believe Sequoia like famously talks about, which is why now, like why is there this convergence of trends that um, make this the best time for this new category to come to life and for this company to exist and to drive this market? And I think that that's really important. So, you know, there's this kind of playbook of like category creation, but also paying attention to what are the market trends that kind of lend themselves to the need for this new category. Oftentimes, like categories are created as like a response or reactionary to like something else, like another category that's been really successful and maybe the negative impacts of that. Um, so really kind of thinking about that kind of broader positioning is key. And I guess the other big takeaway, which is like, there's just tons of resources on category creation that are amazing. Um, and, you know, a lot of things to dive into And Even if it's not around category creation, there's a lot of things to dive into around like um, customer fit. And like, if you have a horizontal product, like how do you identify the right customer and the right price point and all of those different pieces around like product market fit. And all of that also is tied into just category creation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Amanda Greenberg, thank you so much for joining us for a second time on the show. <laughs> this was amazing. I have so many notes and truly thank you and good luck with the Lunar. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. That brings us to a close. Did you like what you heard? Did it tingle your earbuds? Support your startup ecosystem and share this episode with another founder to help them. If you don't have anyone in mind, then leave a rating and review of the show on iTunes so more entrepreneurs can learn about it. And if you want more, head to StartupHypeMan.com and click on the knowledge section to get a bonus blog post written by this week's guest where they unpack the topic even more. Remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Startup Hype Man is more than a podcast. In fact, we support startups across the United States and globally develop sales and marketing acumen with messaging that stands out to customers and stands apart from competitors. Learn more and fill out a form at StartupHypeMan.com if you want to chat. Shout out to this week's guests for spending their time with us and shout out to music artist Sir the Baptist for providing our show's theme song. Catch you next time. Hype Man out. Word up. Raise up. Got you howling at the moon. Yeah. This dance with the devil, bro. Instead of sundown too. Yeah. 
with the devil.